Welcome to Committing High Reason, a podcast where we dissect important topics such as good versus evil, religion versus atheism, Judaism versus Zionism, and our pet peeve, political propaganda. Committing High Reason will give you tools to strengthen your intellectual independence, enhance your critical thinking, and hopefully acquire some very new perspectives. Now, here's your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. Welcome, everyone. Today we have as our guest Ronnie Barkin, an Israeli human rights activist. Ronnie has long promulgated the idea that there are two types of Zionists, left-wing Zionists and right-wing Zionists. Now, that's not much of a surprise to anybody. But the surprise that Ronnie has for us is his policy, his position, that the left-wing Zionists are more dangerous Zionistically than the right-wing Zionists are. Welcome, Ronnie. How are you today? Hi, Uncle. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm doing well, thanks. Can you please explain to us first what a the difference is between a left-wing Zionist and a right-wing Zionist, and perhaps you'd like to start with uh, what you mean by Zionist to begin with, and then explain to us what danger you're referring to and why the danger applies more to these left-wing Zionists than they do to the right-wing ones. Right. So let's go back to the way that the Zionist state, the state of Israel, was founded in 1948. Uh the Zionist state was founded on the basis of ethnic cleansing and ethnic segregation. So, first of all, um, they ethnically cleansed the land. They basically expelled as many Palestinians as they could from that land in order to create, by force, what they call a Jewish uh, majority. And then the very next thing that happened was that they had to make sure that those who were expelled will never be allowed to come back. And those who remain, because not everyone was expelled, uh, will never be allowed equal standing. And this is how that Zionist state was founded. From the get-go, it was founded as a Zionist race state. What do you mean, I'm sorry for interrupting you, what do you mean by never accorded uh, equal standing? Equal in what way? After all, the Zionists say that you have Arabs, I assume you mean the Arabs, the Arabs in the Supreme Court, they have Arabs in the Knesset, they have Arabs all sorts of jobs. So what do you mean by unequal. So you and your audience are familiar with the claim that Israel is an apartheid state. And um, in the case of South African apartheid, uh, it was very clear. There was a very clear case of apartheid and it was uh, racially based. And, you know, there was a clear distinction between whites and blacks and colored. Um, In the Zionist case, which also founded apartheid in the same year, 1948, uh, they created a much more sophisticated form of apartheid, which is basically a two-tiered system. On one level, they differentiated, first of all, as I said, they ethnically cleansed the, the vast majority of the indigenous people from their land. And immediately after, they, they initiated, basically, they founded a whole system, including the whole legal system of Israel, which makes sure that there is a distinction in every possible way between two types of populations. The, the privileged group that I belong to, the ones who by law is defined as Israeli Jews, having Israeli citizenship, but Jewish nationality, not Israeli nationality, and the others, other citizens of the state who are also Israeli citizens, but they have another type of nationality. 
And by law, there is this distinction. The first, the very first laws in Israel actually have the term Jewish in them, making this distinction whether one belongs to the privileged group or not. And there are many, many more laws, more than 50 of them today, that depend on these former laws. And there is so there is a whole slew of legislation today that is all about this type of discrimination between the privileged group and the others. How about an so, example? Would you have an example of like what uh, privilege you have be, for being a Jew as opposed to somebody who, who wouldn't be a Jew in Israel? So today it's quite easy because uh, only recently, uh, a couple of years ago, there was uh, the um, Jewish nation state law mm-hmm. that was legislated which is regarded as a basic law. A basic law is akin to a constitution. There is no constitution. If there were a constitution in Israel, there wouldn't be uh, the whole Zionist apparatus would, would, be, would crumble because it would safeguard some rights for all the people. So instead of a constitution, which Israel cannot afford, they have what they call basic laws, which are very difficult to change. And they legislated this basic law, Jewish nation state law, which basically says that all citizens of the state have citizenship rights, but only what they call the Jewish people, uh, only Jews have national rights. And there's also a few other things in the law, for example, about the status of Arabic as as an official language or not. Now, and many people uh, were outraged around the world when they heard that, that that only one type of people among the citizens of the state have national rights. What what are national rights? In in what way do they manifest themselves? I'll get to that in a second. But I also want to add another thing, that that Jewish nation state law actually hasn't changed anything in the Israeli law book. Mm -hmm. Everything was already there. But there was this guise, this facade, as if there is some form of democracy in that state. That law which was legislated more recently, kind of, you know, it it puts things in a much more explicit and unapologetic way. And it was obviously legislated by the right-wing government. Um, And that there was a lot of backlash, actually, even though that law changes very little, there was a lot of backlash because it is very kind of out in the open. It's very explicit. Now, what are these national rights? I said that in South Africa, in the South African apartheid, there were there was a clear distinction between whites and blacks. In the Israeli case of apartheid, on the face of it, there are some rights that are um, basically protected by the state for all the citizens of that state. I'm not talking about the refugees that were already expelled in 1948. So, you know, and they are uh, actually, the, this is the crux of the issue. But let's put that aside just for a moment. Those who remained on that land, let's say those who are citizens of that state, on the face of it, they have certain rights that are afforded to, to them. For example, even the right to vote to the Israeli parliament, the mm-hmm. apartheid parliament. At the same time, they're also what's regarded as national rights. And these national rights are afforded to only the privileged group that I belong to. Now, what are these national rights? Um, For example, uh, ownership of land. Much of the land is owned by the JNF and the the land committee, etc. And you know that when a land is bought in Israel, it is actually leased from the state. What is regarded as state land? It is actually leased for this from the state for either 49 or 99 years. And it is said, basically, that you become the protectorate of that land. Okay. Protecting it from whom exactly? And for whom and for and in the name of whom? And it is regarded as basically those who are protecting the land to remain Jewish 
Okay, uh, it's most, most of the land, as I mentioned, is, for example, owned by the JNF, the Jewish National Fund. And in their slogan, they say that uh, their, their statement is to maintain the land Jewish for perpetuity. So non-Jewish people so when, are not allowed to own as much land as Jewish people or, or not what? Not state land. There's private land that they can own, uh-huh. but not state land. And Jewish people can own state land. They could, let's say, purchase it from the JNF. Yes, there is this process. Okay. Yes, for example, I can give you another example when we talk about resources. For example, land is one thing. The other is water. So with water, um, obviously, uh, every citizen of the state should have access to um, water, uh, water and sanitation, etc. Now, if, um, if you have people living in the Nakab Desert in the south, mm-hmm. and they are Bedouins who are living in what are regarded as unrecognized villages. Why are these villages unrecognized? Because at some point in time, there was a census held in Israel uh, where they listed all the different villages and they um, conveniently uh, didn't mention, uh, didn't count in the census a certain amount of villages, which are Bedouin villages. And from that moment on, these villages became uh, illegal, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, un- un- unrecognized by the state. So this, this is why they're called unrecognized villages, even though people have been living there for generations. Now, these people are living in a territory that is unrecognized by the state, and they are regarded as some sort of... uh, um, Squatters. Yes, exactly. Now, as citizens of the state, because they are citizens, they are uh, tax-paying citizens, they are entitled to have um, water, for example, Mm -hmm. access to water. At the same time, the state regards them as some sort of illegals. So, so the when this is taken to court, the bottom line of this story would be that the Supreme Court said, okay, these people are entitled to have access to water, but they cannot have, uh, we cannot uh, put the pipes there on that land because they are not regarded as legal. So we will place the uh, water tap maybe two, three kilometers from there, from their place of residence. Um, because now, now, if there will be a Jewish couple, uh, which buys um, land just a few meters away in from the that Negev. unrecognized village, mm-hmm. they will be immediately connected to the uh, infrastructure, mm-hmm. to the water and uh, sanitation, etc. Um, same goes for for healthcare, etc. I mean that there would not be healthcare for these unrecognized villages. It will be uh, a long distance away, etc. And also with farming, um, you know that. In order to grow, uh, to have a grove of, uh, I know, an orchard, for mm-hmm. example, there you need uh, the farmers need a lot of water now, uh, and they need what's called gray water, uh, which is cheap water. It, it's not uh, basically uh, some sort of uh, filtered water, mm-hmm. which is cheaper water because they they need to use it a lot and it is subsidized by the state. Now, Palestinians may grow um, their orchards, but they would have uh, to to use their regular tap water. I mean, I'm talking about Palestinian sources of the state of Israel. So Israeli citizens, but uh, who are not Jewish, according to the state. And, you know, they could use their regular water, and, and but that would be very expensive. If they want to have access to this subsidized filtered water, they would be have to be part of some sort of an agricultural community. But that agricultural community... For that to be part of that, you you could only do that if you belong if you adhere to certain criteria, which basically Palestinians cannot do that. They they will not be accepted into such 
agricultural community, like a kibbutz, for example, a moshav, etc. There are All no these... Palestinian uh, social groups that could accept them. No, because because those those places of re, uh, these settlements inside 48, inside what is regarded as Israel proper, uh -huh. like kibbutz and moshav, etc., mm -hmm. uh, which are, um, this is where most of the, let's say, those who have access to, who do farming, etc., um, you know, they have uh, admission committees, and these admission committees are entitled to reject people uh, because, for example, they don't fit the fabric of life in that village, I in see. that settlement. They not only reject Palestinians, many times these admission committees also reject religious Jews, by the way. Not surprising. Are being discriminated against. So, so, so in other words, what, what we're saying is, see, here in America, uh, it's unusual to hear a country that calls itself, I mean, it's built in the Declaration of Independence, declares itself a democratic country where there is no law against discrimination based on ethnicity or nation, national origin or religion or, or things like that. You're saying, Israel, there is no such, no such anti-discrimination laws. There would be anti-discrimination laws, but, but there's always something that supersedes that. So, as I, I said, you cannot discriminate and not uh, supply water to these unrecognized villages. You could not, uh, and, you know, there are certain things that the state has to provide. But at the same time, whenever we reach something that is regarded by the state as a national resource, for example, ah. water for farming, or for example, the land that uh, of the unrecognized villages that is regarded uh, as basically intended for Jewish settlements, so they don't want to give it to the Palestinian Bedouins. So these national resources, whenever it comes to the national level, the only ones who enjoy are regarded as having national rights are the ones among the privileged group. So there are there is a two-tiered system where on the face of it everyone has certain rights, but the much more important rights and definitely national, well basically what is regarded as national rights, political rights also are afforded only to the privileged group. Now, when we go to uh, elections, which, you know, again, there's an upcoming elections just in a few days from now. Uh, I, by the way, refuse to vote to the apartheid parliament, to the Knesset, uh, because I see no legitimacy in it whatsoever. And why is that? I'll give you one important example. Basic law, the Knesset, Article 7a of that law. When this law exists since the very foundation of the state of Israel, basic law Knesset says that no political party and no candidate for elections can run for elections if they negate Israel as being a Jewish and democratic state. Right. Implicitly or implicitly. So basically, in order to run for elections, there is already the, the precondition that uh, the candidates and the parties will accept the state of Israel as what is euphemistically called Jewish and democratic, or what I would say, uh, Zionist and apartheid, okay, supremacist and apartheid. And, and this is part and parcel of the system. And, and the UN report on apartheid, an excellent report written by Professor Stillian Falk, uh, refers to that uh, basic law Knesset that I mentioned a moment ago. And they say that this is akin to allowing slaves to vote, but not in order to abolish slavery. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the, the situation that we are in. We, we have people who, who basically have to agree to be subjugated under Zionist control to be 
agree, accept to be second-class citizens, and if they try to democratize the place, if they try, try to, to demand full equality for all, even just the citizens of that land, they would basically be barred from even participating in that uh, parliament. Okay. Um, I have some questions I'm going to ask you later, but first I, I want you to be able to get to the left-wing versus right-wing Zionists. Okay, so understanding that the Zionist state is a race state, as I said. It is a state that first and foremost is for one and only one type of people at the expense of all the others. You know, some people think that it is about land, but it's not only about land. It is also, the, the, the main issue is which are the people that are allowed to live on that land. Mm -hmm. And so the Zionist state was built for one and only one type of people. It was not only about taking, usurping the land, taking over the resources, etc. It is also about um, this notion of exclusivity, that this belongs to us and only to us. Okay, and then you have the two types of Zionists. One are the ones who, who speak that language, that this is ours and only ours, and they are unapologetic about it. They are the right-wing Zionists. And then the others are the ones who speak more of a liberal type of discourse, more of a humanistic type of discourse. And, and they, they speak about, uh, um, for example, um, struggling for Israeli democracy, um, um, maintaining Israel democracy, etc. And they are what, what are regarded as the left in Israel. Now, these people, uh, it is very important for them to have uh, what they call two-state solution. Why are they so interested in having two states, two states for two people, as they say? Is it because they care about Palestinians? Not at all. Uh, not at all. It's not about they, they, they care about the rights of Palestinians. It is about worrying that if they do not separate from Palestinians, then soon, uh, basically, Jews will not be the majority in that land. Ah, so, so by way of analogy, we're talking about, let's say, in South Africa, saying, okay, let's give the blacks their own state so that we whites can have our own state. Exactly. Exactly. So basically, uh, the whole question of demography, the, what's called the demographic threat, the, the demographic bomb even, it's used, uh, this is the term that's being used in Hebrew, uh, is inherently a racist notion that they are always worried, and I'm also including those so-called left-wing Israelis in that, they're always worried about that demographic question, how many of us versus how many of them. And this is the key issue that is being uh, basically um, dealt with. And the way that they deal with the demographic issue, you know, they have, there's two outcomes to, to how are they willing to deal with that. One group says we have to separate completely from the Palestinians or as much as we can in order to maintain our cherished ethnically pure state. These are the so-called left-wing Mm -hmm. You know, and they're modest. They say, you know, we don't need the entire land. We, we, we are perfectly fine. We're content with having only part of the land as long as it is Arab-free. The 67 borders, you mean. Exactly, the 67 mm -hmm. borders. And then you have the other group that says, uh, you know, we want the entire land because we don't care about being uh, liberals and humanistic so much. You know, we are the masters of the land and we will dictate. And if they agree to abide by our, our dictates, they will be able to stay here. And if not, we'll kick them out. 
But, you know, they're at least not, they're unapologetic about it. And these are the two types of discourses that we hear among Israeli society and throughout the entirety of Israeli society. Okay, so why are the left-wing Zionists more dangerous? In what way are they more dangerous? Okay, so I hope that um, the listeners um, understand that both of these options are extremely racist. There, uh, there is like deep-rooted supremacy within the very notion of having a Zionist state, which is a state for one and only one type of people. Now, um, with the right-wing folks, it is very clear. I mean, it's really out in the open, like that Jewish nation state law that I mentioned that was legislated recently. It is very evident. Everyone can see that. And then, okay, and then people have to make up their mind. Do they support these right-wing Zionists, you know, which are obviously uh, racist, or do they support those indigenous people and their claims? And then in the middle, in the buffer, another type of discourse cropped up, which is basically about offering an, an, an alternative view, mm-hmm. which acts, in my view, as a way to, to block people from transi- from transitioning from Zionism into humanism. Because if the only choices are, do we support these racist Zionists or do we support those Palestinians who seem to have quite valid claims, uh, you know, being subjugated and, and uh, oppressed, etc., then I think the situation is very clear, like in the case of South Africa, for example, like in the case of you know, slavery and, and, and other forms of uh, systems of oppression, because there is a clear case of oppression here, a system of oppression. But in the middle, now we have a new type of discourse, which basically offers us to, to have just a little bit of supremacy, just a little bit of Zionism, you know, not, not going full on with our racism, just, you know, maybe taming it, maybe being just as racist, but using much, but using a much softer language, so we can feel uh, that we are Zionist and moral at the same time. And it is impossible to be Zionist and moral. This is an oxymoron. Okay, Zionist and humanist. It doesn't work. Uh, and this is the entirety of the liberal Zionist discourse. And then within that discourse, we hear so many things. We hear um, things like Israel and Palestine, right? I mean, these this form of two-state solution, right? But whenever you hear, you read an article and you see the terms Israel and Palestine, and they mean two different entities, one is Israel and the other is Palestine, that is already a lie. What do they mean by that? Israel Israel was literally built on top of Palestine at the expense of its indigenous population. So they have kind of taken totally disregard that and they created a new type of idea, a new type of reality where Israel and Palestine are two separate entities. When they talk about the occupation, but they only speak about the occupation of 67, the West Bank and Gaza, they don't speak about the entirety of the occupation of Palestine, including the ethnic cleansing uh, and so on. By the way, not only the ethnic cleansing, those Palestinians who are citizens of Israel until 1966, they were under military rule inside Israel proper. Then that ended and a year later... And what, 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 do you mean, what do you mean military rule? Those Palestinians who remained on their land in 1948 mm-hmm. were under military rule and they needed to get permits to move from one place to another. Uh, They were able to participate Mm -hmm. uh, in the society, but they were under military rule and military uh, uh, committees that that could decide on on many things relating to their daily life. And they were were not military subjects like those in the West Bank, but but they needed to get uh, permits for, for, for even to travel from one place to another. 
Wow. And this happened until 1966. Officially ended in 1966. Mm-hmm. You know, there were they lacked the, the 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 rules over time, and eventually it ended in 1966. And then the, in the next year came the occupation of 1967. And, but but for these liberal Zionists, it is inconvenient to talk about the entirety of the occupation. It is much more convenient for them to talk about the occupation there in in the West Bank in Gaza, which is very bad, and and that. And we have to give that to the Palestinians because we want to, you know, we want to to maintain uh, that cherished, that cherished uh, ethically pure state, which we call the democracy inside what is regarded as Israel proper. So they speak about 50 years of 50 or so years of occupation. They don't speak about 70 or so years of occupation. When they talk about how many people are uh, basically being subjugated by uh, Israel or controlled by Israel, then sometimes we only talk about those who are inside what is regarded as Israel proper. If they are even more liberal than that, they would also count those who are under military rule, military occupation in the West Bank and Gaza. But hardly ever would you hear about the other six million who are in forced exile for the past seven decades. For, for seven decades, people are denied to come back home, six million of them, are denied to come back home for one and only one reason, because they were born to the wrong ethnicity. What's, what's really confusing to me, uh, and I don't mean confusing, I mean contradictory to me over here, is that we referred to earlier Israel, uh, Jewish people as people of a Jewish nationality, right? In Israel, there's no such thing as an Israeli nationality, only an Israeli citizen, but there's such a thing as a Jewish nationality. Now, we're referring to a Jewish ethnicity you just mentioned, okay? Further, we know that according to Israeli law, you can become Jewish, meaning you can uh, obtain this ethnicity or nationality by way of religious conversion, okay? For the Israeli Supreme Court, as is evident from their recent ruling, arrogates to itself the rights to decide what this religious conversion should consist of. Right. So, so we have a Jewish nationality. I don't even know what that means. We have a Jewish ethnicity. I don't know what that means either. We, and yet, you can obtain, it's a weird thing, you can obtain a nationality going through a religious conversion and... The Reform and Orthodox conversions was a controversy in Israel, but they always agreed that an Orthodox conversion is valid and the Orthodox Jews don't even believe in an Israeli nationality. So mm-hmm. you can, by becoming a religious Jew and the rabbis who convert you will tell you, well, there's no such thing as a, a Jewish nationality. It's only a Jewish religion. Now, by virtue of that conversion, you now obtained a Jewish nationality, according to Israeli law, and a Jewish ethnicity, according to Israeli law. Does this make any sense whatsoever? And then in the Declaration of Independence, it refers to itself as a Jewish and democratic state. It never defined what Jewish is. Then when the Mi Yehudi law was written on the books, they had a big problem. Uh, who's considered Jewish? Does Ben-Gurion wanted Israel to have the right to de- define who is a Jew. And many people, obviously all the Orthodox and many of the non-Orthodox people said, no, there's no such, you can't decide who's a Jew. You can only decide who's an Israeli. Mm-hmm. So Ben-Gurion said then that Jews have no definition. So if Jews have no definition, he said, 
he said, Ben-Gurion, that there are some people that consider Jews a, a religious community, but the real Jews are Jews without any definition. So you have the Jews have no definition. Uh, they, they are nationality according to Israeli law. According to Israeli law, you could become a Jew by virtue of religious conversion only if the Supreme Court agrees with the religious process. They're great religious experts, right? And um, then there's ethnic cleansing based on an ethnicity. So what is it? What in the world does Jewish mean in, in Zionist parlance? I'm happy that you raise all of these issues, and evidently, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. Now, let me uh, try to make sense of it all. There are three categories that the state, the Zionist state, defines for its citizens. There's citizenship, there's nationality, and there's religion. Okay? Citizenship would be Israeli for Israeli citizens, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Nationality, however, cannot be Israeli. There is no, there are, the Israeli state recognizes over 170 different nationalities, but it doesn't recognize one, recognize one, and it never will, which is Israeli nationality. So I have in my passport or in my ID, I have an Israeli citizenship, but as Jewish nationality, mm-hmm. according to the state, my fellow citizen would have, say, uh, an Israel nationality and an Arab, uh, an Israeli citizenship and an Arab nationality, or Druze, or Circassian, okay, which are mm-hmm. minorities. So, so the state defines, and this is how this two-tiered system works. What would know, a Christian, what would, let's say, a Christian have as their nationality? A Christian uh, I Israeli. think that they would still fall under possibly Arab because they're Arab Christians. But but I mentioned that there's also a third category, which is religion. So mm-hmm. we'll get to that in a second, okay? Mm-hmm. So the main issue, and basically the one most important category for Israel is what is that person's nationality, whether it is Jewish, i.e. belonging to the privileged group, or not Jewish, belonging to the others, to the underprivileged. Okay, this is how it works. And and I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this, and I'll quote directly from the Israeli embassy, where you know that every newborn to Israeli parents can get citizenship, but by one of two different laws, citizenship laws. Mm-hmm. One is for a newborn to Israeli parent, to Israeli Jewish parents, mm-hmm. and the other is for a baby who is born to non-Jewish parents. Mm-hmm. I'm quoting here, I mean, I won't give you the whole thing, just, just this. Every Jew being born in Israel is a citizen under the law of return. For that matter, an, an Israeli Arab born in Israel is a citizenship by virtue of birth. So from the very first day, babies fall into, have gained their Israeli citizenship by two different laws, and to the rest of their lives, they will you know, enjoy or not enjoy these national rights that I mentioned before, according to that. So so the issue of having, quote unquote, Jewish nationality is is key to everything that that, uh, you know, Zionist state. Okay, I, a question, just so yes. to clarify, can somebody of a non-Jewish nationality somehow be nationalized or naturalized or convert or whatever you want to call it to a Jewish nationality? I'm happy you asked about that. So 
you remember I mentioned just now that there are two laws. One is the law of return mm -hmm. for Israeli Jews. Mm -hmm. By the way, even those who were born in Israel, uh, who were born to Jewish parents, uh, receive their citizenship under the law of return, even though we haven't returned, they haven't returned anywhere. Uh, and this law of return in the law, it says that this is for basically all Jews around the world. So basically every Jew around the world, and don't let's not go into the definition of uh, who is regarded as Jewish, because even the state of Israel cannot do that. Right. You know that religiously it's very, it's quite easy to define that, but this is not what we're talking about. Right. Um, so, so every Jew around the world is basically regarded as a potential citizen of that state. They, they are regarded as basically citizens who haven't implemented their right yet. Okay. But this is by law what is, is regarded and when we mentioned before about ownership of land, etc., and being protectorates of the land. You, those people who are protectorates of the land, they are protecting the land, you know, for all and and for all the Jews around the world. Okay. This is the law of return. Okay. And for that, you have to be born to Jewish parents, at least one Jewish parent. And then. Uh, you have the other type of citizenship law, which is uh, the citizenship residency law, which is for those who were born to non-Jewish parents in Israel. And this is uh, basically, there are much more, uh, it is a much more strict type of uh, law. Well, okay, obviously, if the parents are Israeli parents, then, uh, okay, you get citizenship. But otherwise, you ask about naturalization, right? How does one become a national and again, we go back to that issue. If you have some uh, basically family ties, if uh, there is some form of Jewish heritage, then you could quite easily get um, citizenship, etc. But, but if you are not, then it would be very difficult. It is a very uh, difficult, tedious process. For example, someone, let's say an Israeli citizen who is not of a Jewish background wants to marry someone else so so that person that their spouse should be allowed to to gain citizenship at some point but it is doable but it is very difficult it is a very tedious process and also it is not well defined in the law it is up to mm -hmm. the basically scrutiny of the uh, ministry of interior okay so, so there is no there is no basically uh, immigrate pro proper immigration policy in israel so that's and, Right, that's regarding becoming a citizen. Can mm -hmm. somebody who was born of a non-Jewish nationality, even if it's yeah. a citizen, somehow obtain Jewish nationality? No. Unless he converts religiously. Yes, it, but basically it, 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 it cannot happen. Now, you remember that I mentioned that there's the third category, which is religion. Uh -huh. And that makes things even, wor even worse, even more complicated or more uh, outrageous, okay? Because you, you remember that, okay, we had citizenship we ha now have nationality and now there's a third category which is religion now religion is quite i mean the state is quite lax about that because uh, they do this they hold this category for other reasons um, so so for example myself i have an israeli citizenship and jewish nationality and a jewish religion according to the state but uh, some people can have jewish nationality but no religion mm -hmm. for example those who immigrate emigrated from uh, russia from uh, exactly from russia mm -hmm. And, you know, their, their Jewishness were, was kind of put in question uh, by the state or because there were all these political elements that questioned their uh, Jewish heritage. At the same time, they were white enough uh, for Israel to, to accept them, to adopt them and make them uh, full-fledged citizens. So they got Jewish nationality. 
but their 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 religion is no religion. What? Wait, 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 wait. Now, whoa. Okay, <laughs> you're talking about uh, Russian Jews who their Jewishness, meaning their halachic Jewishness according to the Jewish religion, is in question. Or perhaps they don't have Jewish mothers, which means that they're not Jewish according to the Jewish religion. But Israel will give them Jewish nationality and say religion, none. Correct, even though many of them, uh, the state knows that they they may not even have Jewish background in the first place. They just, it was an opportunity for them to leave uh, the former Soviet Union. And, right. Uh, and and what if what if now I do know there was a Supreme Court case in Israel with this guy brother Daniel, who yes, he a was story right he was born Jewish but he practiced Christianity he converted to Christianity he was a Carmelite monk, and right. Israel said that even though he's born Jewish he's not entitled to the law of return because he practices another religion now had um, brother Daniel been an atheist okay he would have been entitled to the law of return. So if he believes in no God and no religion, he's considered Jewish by birth, by ethnicity, nationality. But if he does believe in a God, but it's a trinity, then he is not considered Jewish anymore for the law of return, even even by Jewish nationality. So these Russians that were not born Jewish and they don't practice any religion are considered Jewish nationals, but Brother Daniel is not. Yes, so there were a few incidents throughout the 70 years of uh, Zionist uh, crimes in Palestine where this question of Jewishness in the law had to be, was challenged. Uh, one of the first ones to challenge that was uh, Brother Daniel, uh, Ulfaisen, mm-hmm. uh, that was his name, and he became, uh, he was born Jewish, then he became a Carmelite monk, as you said, etc. Um, and this went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, and and this was uh, basically this this forced the redefinition of the law of return, or basically adding another um, article to that law, saying that anyone who was born Jewish and hasn't converted to another religion. Now I won't go into all the details. Right. It doesn't make sense one way or another. And there is an excellent book that can be downloaded online for free. It is called The Un-Jewish State uh-huh. by Kiva O. I, I, I also agree. It's an excellent book. I really recommend it. Yes, and he goes through uh, uh, these different cases. There was Brother Daniel and a few others uh, after afterwards. That every time they challenged these, um, you know, this quirkiness in the in the Israeli law book, uh, whenever it relates to Judaism, because I told you that there are at least three laws that have the term Jewish in them. They have they use a term in the law, but there is no proper definition, no proper legal definition. And every time this is being kind of challenged in the court, then there's a big mess, a big fuss. And I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, you know, the, the, this basically broke down governments and whatever. So basically what happened is that uh, I don't want to take up too much time uh, to try to explain it. You have much time as you want, saga, really. But yeah, but, but basically what happened is that uh, the Israeli court, which doesn't uh, claim to be uh, religious, um, was was applying religious criteria um, in order to in order to basically they were applying you know they 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 pick and choose basically they were yes. applying re- religious criteria in order to deny brother Daniel the right of return the under the law of return um, even though they didn't claim to be religious and they didn't claim to even care about religion but they did 
claim to <laughs> to to care about this specific. Uh, they have no other criterion to define Jewishness. That's exactly. the problem. You know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You're saying that the left wing Zionists are also Zionists, and uh, except I guess for those that want a one state solution for Israel to become just a democratic state. I know there are some of those. Um, but n- none of them are uh, Zionists. None of them are Zionists. Okay, fair enough. My position has long been that, you know, there are many Jews here in America and outside of Israel that involve themselves in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, just like, you know, you're doing. Now, you're Israeli, so it's your country that's involved. But I'm American. And as far as I'm concerned, I've said this a long time, as far as being a Jew is concerned, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is connected to me no more or less than the conflict between India and Kashmir. Mm -hmm. I'm neither Israeli nor Palestinian. The conflict has nothing to do with Jews and has nothing to do with, with me. It's, of course, a human rights issue, like India Kashmir is, like many human rights issues all over the world. But my connection as a Jew really doesn't exist. And there are people that do get involved, and they say, well, I'm a Jew, and because I'm a Jew, I need to get involved over here and stick up for rights. I, I say that those people are Zionists. And well, the re- they fell for the propaganda, as if the Zionist state has anything to do with it, it, exactly. It's not a question of is to to me. It's not a question of whether Israel should or shouldn't be a Jewish state. To me, it's not. They have no. They don't even have a definition of Jewish. Certainly, if they would try to figure one out, it's not mine. You know. So even if they would be a Jewish state, which they cannot consistently um, define. And I don't, I don't mean they're like some exceptions on the sides, you know. I mean, they don't even have a definition of a Jew at all. Um, even if they would be able to define it, it would just be a homonym. Like, you know, F-16 right. to a fighter pilot means something different than F-16 does to a photographer. And a Jew, to me, means uh, it's just two words that sound the same, but harbor two completely different meanings. So I, I believe that those Jews outside of Israel, who feel because they're Jews, they need to take a side in this conflict the same way, for example, Americans took sides in, let's say, the uh, America's conflicts in Afghanistan and Vietnam because they feel they need to be involved. They themselves are Zionists because they believe there's a connection between Jews and Israel. I want everybody to be safe and I want there to be peace very, very much. But in terms of the conflict... Uh, I look at, uh, let's say, the Jews in Israel. People tell me, well, there's Jews in Israel. Why aren't you concerned? Of course I'm concerned. There are Jews in Ukraine. And when Russia and Ukraine were having a a war, I was concerned also about the people over there. But Israel is no different to me than Ukraine is. It's a foreign country. You know, it has nothing to do with Jews. There are Jews living there. There are non-Jews living there who I also don't want. I also want to be want them to be safe. But in terms of the connection to my Jewishness, and I think that this is really the solution. You know, so long as Israel define gets away with gets away with claiming to be a Jewish state or even the Jewish state, because you know this this nation state law did two things. It did what you describe it did meaning it excluded Israeli citizens who are not Jewish, okay? But it also included non-Israeli citizens, such as myself, who are Jewish, 
Israel claims to be my state. Netanyahu claims to be my prime minister. Whatever that means. He, he has said he's a leader of the Jews. He came to America and in Congress when he came to uh, oppose Barack Obama's Iran deal, he said he represents all the Jews. Okay? Uh, he was referred to by Naftali Bennett as the prime minister of the Jews. And this ideological conception is really, as far as I'm concerned, the whole problem. I have, I have a, a rule that it, whenever ideas and laws conflict with each other, the ideas always win in the long term. You can't make laws to negate people's ideas. People's ideas always will win against the laws. So I think the problem in Israel, all of these problems, is a problem of ideas. It's not so much a problem of laws. They could make laws, but the laws will never stop these contradictory ideas. And so long as Israel considers itself the state of the Jewish people, and it considers itself the, the actual uh, owners of Jewish identity, this, this problem is never going to be solved, and there can never be peace. Of course, I totally agree with you. But the, the, the thing is that the only answer to that is to negate it in its entirety. So basically what makes uh, the Zionist state, and you see that I, I consistently refer to it as the Zionist state because this is what it is, uh, what makes the Zionist state maybe in a different position than, say, Ukraine, for people like yourself, is that it has hijacked Judaism and claims to speak on your behalf and yes. basically hijacked your being in order to justify its illegal practices, its criminal supremacist, deeply supremacist practices. So, so in that sense, it is different. So when you see, first of all, obviously, I, by the way, I use the term before ethnic Jew, and you ask, what does that mean? I'm trying to be consistent with my terminology. Therefore, I don't use, I try as much as I can not use the term Jewish other than for religion, because this is the only way that you and I ex- understand the term Jewish. It's the right? only way that makes sense. I mean... Judaism is a religion of uh, thousands of years, and Zionism is a hundred-year-old uh, uh, supremacist racial ideology. Uh, which And the two couldn't be farther apart. There's absolutely nothing connecting between Zionism and Judaism. Actually, Zionism is inherently anti-Semitic. It is inherently anti-Jewish, but I don't know if we have time to go into that. I know that I listened to your excellent uh, podcast where basically you are Thank dismantling you. Zionism, and you mentioned, uh, you know, these totally discrepancies between Zionism and Judaism. But I do want to mention maybe one thing for the audience. Uh Um, Just, you know, kind of for us to understand how apart, how how totally uh, different Judaism and Zionism are. So while Judaism is, is, you know, uh, is about religion, it is theocentric, uh, it puts religion at the core. It is inclusive, by the way. Anyone may convert to Judaism. Absolutely. Anyone may convert to Judaism. It's not an easy process, but anyone may convert. And the moment they convert, they are immediately regarded part of the Jewish people. Equal part of the Jewish people. Equal part of the Jewish people. Yes, equal. Exactly. And obviously, who is, uh, you know, who is regarded as Jewish? Okay, there's a certain definition. And basically, in practice, it is those who follow the mitzvot, right? The religious practice. That's according to, you know, our understanding of what is Judaism. And then, on the other hand, you have Zionism. While Judaism, as I mentioned, is inclusive in its nature, I said it's not easy to convert, etc., but it is doable. 
Zionism is inherently the exact opposite of everything that we just talked about. It is exclusive by its very nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ethnocentric, not theocentric. It puts nationalism at the core. And yes. religion is subordinate to the nation. And there is absolutely nothing, nothing at all that connects between Zionists around the world. No, they didn't have a common language or a common culture, a common history, nothing That's at correct. all. Yep, that's they right. To reinvent, or to invent everything, it is a nothing that came into being in the name of Judaism. They mm-hmm. need, they are dependent on using and abusing Jews like yourself in order to justify their criminal practice and existence. Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I read an article recently somebody sent me in Haaretz by Gideon Levy. And he's wondering what happens to the real authentic uh, Zionist left. You know, he wants to abolish the law of return. He wants to separate church and well, state. Well, never and, existed, the Zionist left. Okay, um, yeah. So here, you know, he, here's my answer. When Zionism was invented, so they, I mean, there were people, there were the Canaanim, they called themselves, who decided, you know, we're not going to be Jews, we're going to be Hebrews, we're going to have a new nationality, whatever. But it didn't get off the ground because why would anybody want to be a Canaani? It was a, uh, somebody invented a, a nationality that nobody ever heard of. Nobody ever. So they decided, you know, the, the, the analogy I always give that if you want to create a new identity for yourself, there are two ways to do it. Way number one, you could... Uh, forge a birth certificate, uh, driver's license, uh, house, uh, employment records, and everything. It's very hard to do. There's another way, a simpler way. Kill somebody, move into his house, take his papers, now you're him. And the Canaanim tried to do it the first way. It didn't work. And the Zionists decided, no, we're going to do it the second way. We're going to kill Judaism, and we're going to be the Jews. That's all. And that we're going to be the Jews. We're going to step into their shoes. We're going to co-opt their history. We're going to co-opt their identity, and we're going to be the Jews. And uh, the the help of the evangelical well, Christians. Israel, by the way, hmm? they, they even abuse the name Israel, which is they even ab- they even abuse the name Israel. Absolutely. Now, now, and then what happened was, as you said, Jews never looked at themselves as a nationality. In fact, nationalism is in Jewish law. Idol worship. It's the same as bowing down to a totem pole. It's a complete... Okay. The problem was that they had to retroactively create a whole new Jewish history. You know? So ben, uh, Ben-Gurion hired this guy, ben Cian Diener, to create a whole curriculum where he invented a whole Jewish history that never existed about how the Jews for thousands of years were looking for a political return to Israel and Lashon HaBab Yerushalayim, which always meant, okay, we want a messianic renewal of the world, now became, let's make a Medina, let's make a state. And they used part of Gretz's history, which was also invented. And now they're they taught this to their kids and they brought up people with a whole national narrative. But listen to what the narrative said. Imagine a kid, a little kid who's born even pre 48 and he wants to be a liberal. He wants to be a leftist. He grows up. He says, you know what your identity is? 
You're one of these people who were always persecuted. You know why they were persecuted? Because they never had a state of their own. They're always genocided, and you have a choice, genocide or Israel. And you always wanted to do this. This was the Hatikva, the 2,000-year-old, Nefesh Yehudi Homiya. That this is what you wanted all your life. And you wanted this, and this land is yours, and the Bible says it's yours, and the whole world knows it's yours. And the, the Holocaust proved Zionism. And This is the only narrative that exists in Israel. Even after Benny Morris and his new historians, they undid the political narrative of the, you know, the military operations and stuff. But the narrative of what a Jew is, and for thou- this thousands of years, this fake story, this mythology, this was the only story of Jewish identity that exists in Israel. You grow up with this. There's no way you could be a liberal. It, the whole thing is ethnocentric. Your, your identity is ethnocentric. So here's what happened. Um, there were all sorts of Jews. There were right-wing Jews, left-wing Jews at the beginning. Ben-Gurion was a, was a, uh, a fan of Lenin. He was you know, more on the left. And there was Jabotinsky, who was min- uh, marginalized. He was on the right. His guys were considered, I mean, Ben-Gurion referred to him as Vladimir Hitler. But after one generation of kids growing up in Israel with this education, one generation... By 1977, Menachem Begin gets elected prime minister and then the right wing takes over for good. It was inevitable. Right wing Zionism was inevitable because the only narrative they have, they don't have an organic uh, story of, let's say we do it like we have in America. We're a bunch of colonists and we want to throw off the oppression of the British. So we, so we had self-determination. We created this country. No, that's not what happened. That's not their story. They only have one version of their story. The Jews for thousands of years wanted this and they were oppressed and, and the land was given to them by a God that they don't even believe exists. Ben-Gurion said, the Bible is our mandate, which is nonsense. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe that God gave the Bible. But he said, the Bible uh, is our mandate. And this is what they teach these kids, that for thousands of years, the Jews were persecuted and killed because they didn't have this state. And, and without this state, we're all dead. We'll go to gas chambers. And, and this is your identity. This is what it means to be a Jew. It means to be persecuted. Uh, it, why? Because you don't have a state. So either, how in the world are people who are taught that going to be liberals? It's impossible. One generation, boom, 1977, that's all it took. From 48, boom, Menachem Begin gets elected. And now the Jabotinskyists are now taking over, taking over the country. And that's why Israel is moving more and more to the right, because they don't really have any other identity. Israel was never anything other than fascist. It is only that now it is becoming more explicit, more explicitly so. Just like the Jewish nation state law, which changed nothing in the law book, it is only more explicit than what happened before. But I'd like to mm-hmm. exactly carry on from uh, uh, where you stop. I would like to offer you a different uh, explanation. Okay. Zionism is a competing religion to Judaism. Oh, yes. It is aimed at converting Jews from Judaism to Zionism. True. Where, where in Judaism, Almighty is 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 uh, okay that that we aspire for, uh, and and in Zionism it is the state that we aspire for. Yes, it is nationalism is the religion here. Yes, and a very specific 
you know, a, a, a very specific type of nationalism, which is ultra-nationalism and supremacy. So, and, and that is that is Zionism in a nutshell. Now, what happened is that, obviously, I mean, you know, we have the whole history of how Zionism came into being, how at the same time, at the time, uh, there were also uh, Jews who were obviously staunch anti-Zionists, especially in basically all of the ultra-Orthodox at the time were staunch anti-Zionists. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zionism had version to these uh, religious Jews, uh, still do to this day yeah sorry they still do they still do exactly they still do um and then they basically created this other this alternative uh, reality this alternative version uh, and uh, yes they use and abuse that term jewish in order to justify something that is totally definite totally alien to judaism so i don't think we have to fall into the trap of using the term jewish for for both this is why i use the term ethnic jews for what the Zionists refer to as Jewish because it is some sort of a racial, ethnic, whatever uh, um, notion. And it is, you know, it is this, uh, there's no one definition and no one can define it well, but it is clearly not about religion. And then we have Judaism, which is the religion. And I I totally, I negate any and all conflation between the two. There is absolutely no connection between Zionism and Judaism. And more than that, anyone who does make the connection between Judaism and criminal supremacist Zionism is in fact uh, uh, basically uh, racist and even anti-Semitic because they claim that the Jews, because of their Jewishness, are inherently also supportive of that uh, criminal enterprise. Yeah, it definitely uh, increases. And I agree with every single thing you said. Absolutely true. But now I have, can I ask you a personal question? Of course. I, you, you're not an observant Jew, right? I'm not. Do you consider yourself Jewish? And if so, by what criteria? No, I consider myself a human being. Okay. And whenever I identify, I say that the state of Israel defines me as an Israeli. You know what? At least you're consistent. You're very consistent because there are plenty of people who, who when they say that they're, uh, they're not observant Jews, and I, I ask them, okay, so what, what makes you Jewish? He says, well, it's an ethnicity. It's a, uh, so I say e- ethnicity. Ivanka Trump considers herself Jewish, and is she the same of the same ethnicity as the Yemenite Jews? And if they say, well, it's, you know, the liberal Jews, it's uh, the values of the prophets or this kind of thing. So, okay, so if a Jew does not have the values of the prophets, he's not a Jew. Or if some Chinese guy does that, now he becomes a Jew. You know, if a Jew, what, what ex- they're the only consistent definition of Jew, uh, what I mean is intellectually consistent, mm-hmm. is this one. And there, then there are those who I say, well, you know, I don't know, like, whatever, they never thought about it much. I got that. But somebody like you who thought about it, you know what? That's very consistent, what you're saying. What you're saying is very consistent. And I think that, you know, in order for Israel to stop calling itself the Jewish state because it makes trouble for me, never mind for, for others, it makes trouble for me and Jews all over the world by doing so. Because we get uh, schlepped, uh, dragged into their uh, controversies, and you know, data shows whenever Israel gets into a controversy, anti-Semitism all over the world goes up because Jews are blamed for what Israel does. The Tel Aviv University's Cantor Center for Anti-Semitism puts out papers on anti-Semitism every year, and this is like a, a recurring theme that they have. Um, unless uh, politically influenced by uh, uh, people. But this is the data that they have. And and the only way, I think, for things to normalize, you know what I think is the, what I think is the way to start, at least to, st- 
to start a, a peaceful solution so everybody could be safe and sound and, and um, you know, live normal lives. Before you, you solve a conflict, you got to know who the combatants are. You got to know who's fighting. And if it's a question of Jews versus Muslims or Jews versus Palestinians, or if the issue is the Jewish, Jewish right to the land for, by, given by the Bible, which, by the way, according to Jewish law, that's absolutely wrong. That's a Christian evangelical idea, which was adopted by the religious, the nationalist Zionists, like the settlers, those kind of guys. Oh, if that's the fi- you think that's the fight, you'll never win because you're, 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 you're fighting phantoms. You'll never win. It's a political problem. It's a political land dispute between Israelis and Palestinians. And it needs to be first established that that's the question. You know, you can't answer a question until you know what the question is. Right. But I would only like to correct that Mm -hmm. it's not about land dispute. It is about a system of oppression that also includes ownership of the land or control of the land. And, and it is very important to stress the exclusive nature here that I mentioned before. And when we talk about, free, and this is kind of uh, basically uh, exemplifies everything, demonstrates everything, when we talk about the um, the UN partition plan of 1947, uh-huh. you know that there was the Balfour Declaration before that promised a certain land for a Jewish state, as they called it, but they... They said that they have to live side by side with the the other people of that land, etc. But the UN partition plan, for example, <clears throat> it partitioned the land in a very unfair way uh, and gave more than half of the land to less than half of the population. That most of them were newcomers, colonizers to that land, designers who came in to basically usurp the land, etc. But that was not the main Palestinian tragedy. The, the tragedy was not that the UN partition plan was unfair. The 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 main tragedy was that the Zionists were never willing to accept that partition plan because in that partition plan, there was some part that was allocated for a Palestinian state and the the rest of the land was supposed to be for all people of that land. I mean, that was predominantly uh, those coming from European Jews, etc., but also indigenous Palestinians. So both types of people both these Zionists who came over, the colonizers, and the Palestinians who were already there for generations, they had to share that space. And that, that notion goes against everything that Zionism is about. So the very first thing that happened, as I mentioned before, the very first thing that happened was that the Zionists needed to expel as many people from that territory to create their cherished majority, basically ethnic racial majority, by driving away the indigenous people. And from that moment on, they made sure that those who were expelled will never be allowed to come back, and those who remain will never be allowed equality, equal standing. So so we have to understand this exclusive nature that is there from the very get-go, and it and it is it is really the most fundamental issue in, in the Zionist psyche about us and them, how many of us versus how many of them, how do we protect our cherished majority uh, at the expense of the others by denying the rights from the others. And 
the others can be different categories. Um, right now, and, and, right. And this goes against, obviously, this has nothing to do with Judaism and it has nothing to do with any of the things that, uh, you know, like the Judaism stands for. It has to do with racism and racial supremacy. So we have to treat Zionism just like we treat any other racially, racial supremacy, like we treat the Ku Klux Klan, like we treat maybe ISIS, etc. I mean, these ideologies are fundamentally flawed and racist and supremacist, and we have to negate them in their totality. I mean, there is absolutely nothing legitimate about it. The only way, the, the only way in which the state of Israel could become a legitimate entity is if it respects the rights of all 20 million sons and daughters of that land. Then and only then it will become a legitimate entity. In other words, it should change the name. I always say it should change the name uh, to Herzlstein or something like that. <laughs> and say, we don't represent any Jewish people, we're not the Jewish people, call themselves the Canaanim if they want, and be a, be a normal state like Bulgaria, just make sure everybody is safe and peaceful, and you know there's no terrorism and there's no uh, oppression, and, and that's, really, that's really the answer. I think you know that there's an internal control that the Zionists have implemented to make sure that won't ever happen, and that is when you say us and them, to the Zionists, the us is not the Zionists living in Israel. It's not the Israelis. You know who the us is? The us is all the Jews from the beginning of Judaism until now, the Jews that Hitler killed, the six million Jews that were killed in Europe. It's the hundred generation of Jews that Netanyahu claims he represents. And they're all depending upon uh, Israel to uh, protect all of them so that there shouldn't be another Holocaust. And that's the problem, because so long as Israel looks at the us as the Jewish collectivity, now the choice that they face in their minds is not, okay, should we be fair or not fair? Let's say, you know, I'm going to now play Zionist's advocate, all right? And I'm going to uh, tell you what, what's going through their heads. You know what, Ronnie? Let's say it's not fair to the Palestinians. Let's say it's oppressive to the Palestinians. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't do what we're doing, we know, that was a, a famous Israeli song, the whole world is against us. How many millions of people cooperated with Hitler? Jews have been persecuted throughout the generations. You know what? If it's a, a choice between not allowing the refugees to come back or having all the Jews thrown into ovens, you know what? Let the refugees stay where they are. It's a problem. But it, it, you know what? Saving the life of all the Jews in the world takes precedence over that. You see, that's what's going through their head. That's true. And anybody and anybody who even criticizes Israel in their mind is promoting that. Exactly. You I know? Agree. So, so the agree. idea, the first thing is to... First thing that's necessary is to get rid of the blinder and, and for them to understand they are not the Jews. They're not protecting the Jews. In fact, America, the Jews outside of Israel protects them. Uh, they come running to America for, for assistance and for help, and they're always looking over their shoulder. What is, does America recognize Jerusalem? What does America say? How is America supporting them? Is America giving them arms? They're the biggest Shnorah country in the world. They're not protecting me. I never, my life, I never ran into a, don't remember running into a bomb shelter when the siren goes off. I, my country is never, it's not worried about a nuclear Iran, and I never heard an American politician say we're facing an existential threat, which Israeli politicians do uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. Israel, more Jews are killed in Israel than anywhere else in the world. 
you, you, they want to know, what do you want to do if there's a Holocaust? Hello, if there is a danger to Jews, it's much more likely to be in Israel. The most likely now existential threat to the most Jews, Israelis say, Israelis claim it's Iran getting a nuclear bomb, right? That's, they claim... Not to mention, not to mention the daily programs against uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews. And the daily programs against ultra-Orthodox Jews. I'm even talking from their perspective. Right. Uh, what if there's not a Holocaust? They fight wars. What, 30,000 Jews approximately were killed until now with no end in sight. This is an insurance policy that they're paying with lives in case there's a Holocaust and in case Israel is safe and in case we'll be able to get there, in case all of these things. How much are they willing to pay? How much blood are they willing to spill and have spilled to pay the premium for this insurance policy? What if there's not another Holocaust? What if another thousand years go by and there's not another Holocaust and thousands and thousands of Jews in Israel were died? Now, was it worth it, the whole thing? We have to, and, and they don't represent the Jews. Their, their agenda needs to be exposed. That's step one, I think. They do not represent the Jews. They're not the Jewish people. Very simple. Then we could start at an even... And the only way to do that is to negate uh, any and all conflation between uh, Zionism and Judaism. Yes, yes. The only way is to negate any conflation between Zionism and Judaism. And there's a control against that because people don't want to start talking about what defines a Jew. Oh, nobody knows what defines a Jew because there are so many Jews that consider themselves Jews without the religious definition. The Zionist definition gave as a, a tangible oh. definition as good as anything else. So there's such a complicated... Ta ugly tangle of bad ideas and contradictory thoughts that protect anybody from getting down to the bottom of this Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I have in front of me here, mm -hmm. uh, this is from a Pew Research uh, from, what is it, 2014, uh, where they asked different uh, Israelis... About the Holocaust, the right? The, what, what's essential to being a Jew? Yes, and they ask uh, they ask about the perception of Jewishness among different categories of ah. Israelis. Is this the one? Is this the one where most of them said what's essential to be a Jew is remembering the Holocaust? Uh, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that they also mentioned that at some point. Okay, I'm looking at the specific. Okay, all right. Tell me about this. Uh, and uh, I'll simply put. Uh, you see that among the Haredi groups, among the ultra-Orthodox Jew, uh, Jews, obviously uh, for them it is the religion that is the core uh, uh, criteria, the criteria or the, the understanding of what does that mean to be a Jew. And the more you go to the secular uh, Jews among them, you know, you have the T and then Masoti and then Chiloni, which are the uh, secular, the, the not practicing, uh, uh, then you reach a level of where they say that the, the secular, they say 83% of them say that for them, their Jewishness is in their ancestry and their culture. So their perception of what does it even mean to be Jewish has absolutely nothing to do with religion. It is all about what you said before about being trained uh, to think uh, that they belong to the tribe. And you, you should yes. look at it as some sort of a, like, you know, it is some sort of tribalism, right. so, supremacy, so, etc. And this is what it is for them. It is not so, about... Right, they, so they, these... When they say, when they, when they identify as Jewish, it has nothing to do with the religion. It has to do with totally different things that they also call by the same name, but it is obviously... And yet, different. and yet, if you have some Chinese person with a completely different ancestry, completely different culture, 
and he goes to, the Supreme Court just ruled this, and he goes to a reform rabbi, and the reform rabbi says, okay, now you're Jewish, religiously. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, he's as Jewish as they are, by Israeli law. Okay, now that now now we now we go into the other uh, question of you remember we said that there is citizenship, then nationality, and then religion. Why do we need the category of religion? <clears throat> First of all, uh, Israel keeps tab, you know, of everything. You know, they they want they like to know exactly who is living here and who is not, and to to control. But other than that. It is all about racial purity, right? How do you maintain racial purity? One very important issue is the question of mixed marriages, denying mixed marriages as much as possible. And for that reason, they hold rabbinical courts here. And people think that it is because they are so, you know, appreciative of uh, the Jewish religion. But it's not about that. It is about... No. A, you know that uh, no, it is impossible to have a civil marriage uh, in right. Israel. You can only have a religious one. So Jews marrying Jews, Christians marrying Christians, Muslims marrying Muslims. And this is done for that very purpose. So in order to do that, in order to maintain this racial purity, by the way, uh, there is an it was a very interesting debate at the Knesset when they talked about that. And this relates, by the way, to uh, um, what you mentioned before, brother, not Brother Daniel, but something that happened later, but also it is in Akiva Orr's book. The Benjamin Shalit? Exactly, about mm-hmm. Benjamin Shalit, yes. Uh, this was the, the other case that we mm-hmm. discussed heavily at the Knesset. And when they talk about that, and um, they talk about mixed marriages at the Knesset, Golda Meir said that, she went into the numbers, the percentage of how many mixed marriages exist in Israel, and she goes into, and it wasn't a large figure, and she says uh, that this, uh, I can even find the exact quote, she Mm -hmm. says, uh, this terrifies me, and we have already went through one Holocaust, and and this uh, this terrifies me that now when we have a Jewish state, we are in this position, and she says that maintaining or denying mixed marriages and maintaining uh, this this situation that Jews only marry Jews is at the level of state security and linked to it. And then she says, and without this, nothing else matters. That's crazy. She was not an observant Jew. No, not not at all. Okay, but for her, as a secular Jew, but yet a racist, a supremacist, for her, this was the key issue with a capital T, as she says in the quote. Uh, now, that's uh, insane. So you have to remember that Israel maintains rabbinical courts, of course, for yes. marriage and divorce, but not only that, it also has to maintain a Christian courts, a classical court, a, a, I don't know the word in English, and also Sharia courts. There are 10 Sharia courts in Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when, you know, when we talk about other states, Muslim states, uh, and Sharia law, and so on, and trying to scare people about Sharia law, Israel is dependent on maintaining Sharia courts in Israel for for marriage and divorce, exactly because it is a supremacist state. It needs that, it is dependent on that, because otherwise, God forbid, people would marry, you know, outside of their... uh, It's so, it's so insane. It's... What even, without the religious uh, idea, what is even mixed? Uh, what is even mixed? Why is that considered mixed? That adjective, mixed. Uh, if a Jew marries a non-Jew, what does that mean? What What's mixed about it? Step away from the religious notion. It is, you know, the analogy to the Zionism is, the way I see it, the analogy to Zionism is the Ku Klux Klan. And what does it mean to have a mixed marriage among KKK supporters. This is the way you should think about it. It, it, it. That really, Ed really is, I actually wrote about this in my book, that this 
problem, this idea that they want to avoid mixed marriages without religion certainly is ethnocentric, racist, doesn't make any sense. And, and worse, it's an imaginary race. They made an imaginary race, this Jewish race or this Jewish ethnicity. They made an imaginary people. And now they say that this imaginary people, the main issue is let's not uh, dilute it by marrying people that are not imaginary. I mean, I have, an, I have an idea, I have a solution. Why doesn't the Israeli Supreme Court just expand the definition of Jew to all human beings in the world, and then there's no mixed marriages? They could do whatever they want. They could decide whoever they want as a Jew. I, I totally agree with you. Unfortunately, the court does not, and the Knesset does not, because their whole, you know, the main engine of apartheid is the Knesset and the Supreme Court. exactly the one that legitimizes all these uh, wrong practices. You know, in the game, they put it, you know, they obfuscate everything. They put it in this nice, neat language. But but this is this is how it is done. And you see, and, and people like Jews like me get blamed for this kind of stuff. David Duke, the anti-Semite David Duke, talks about how Jews don't want to marry non-Jews. And in Israel, that's racism. And I say, look, <laughs> it's not a question of want or not want. I'm not allowed by religious law. That's it. Even within Jews, let's say a, a divorced woman can't marry a Kohen in religious law. There are certain people that can't marry other people. It's part of the religion. The religion restricts almost every th- facet of my life and every aspect of my life. No problem. It's, I have nothing against non-Jewish women. It just I'm not allowed by religious law to, to marry them. Without the religious law, if somebody doesn't want to marry, why? What is that? Why is that even considered mixed? Mixed based on what? Different cultures? So so you'd marry a Jew. So, okay, let's say you have an Israeli. Oh, okay, here's the case. Look at this. You have two Israelis. Israeli man, Israeli woman. They both speak Hebrew. They're both born in Israel. And they want to get married. Not religious. They find out that the woman's grandmother on her mother's side was not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Her father was father's father. They find out her grandmother on her mother's side was not Jewish, okay? Now, by religious law, you know, she's not a Jew. She needs to convert. But if she doesn't want to convert, by Israeli law, by Golda Meir's standards, I'm not talking about the Israeli law that recognizes the religion. I'm talking about Golda Meir's idea. That's considered a mixed marriage. She found out. She found out her grandmother on her mother's side is not Jewish. But if this guy wants to marry a convert, an Ethiopian convert, Okay, we're a completely different culture. She's worried about cultural stuff, right? They have the exact same culture. These two people, they grew up in the same neighborhood, maybe in Chadeira, right? Two Jews from Chadeira, secular Jews. They grew up, went to the same school. They met in high school, all right? The same culture, same everything, right? Um, they want to get married, uh, but because her grand- grandmother on her mother's side was not Jewish or Maybe she converted then uh, without an orthodox conversion, which at that point in time, Israeli Supreme Court did not recognize, which makes her not Jewish. So culturally, that's cons- culturally, that's considered a mixed marriage as opposed to him marrying an Ethiopian Jew, an Ethiopian woman who just arrived there, doesn't speak Hebrew. OK, but she let's say she went through a conversion, whatever she has to. And now she's Jewish religiously by religious law. This makes absolutely no sense. I mean. You know, I'm all for religious law. No problem. I got that. I'm a religious Jew. But if you're not a religious Jew, this is, it's worse than racism. It's like insane because two people from the same race, from the same culture, 
are not allowed to get married, should should not, not even not allowed, they're allowed, but they should not because it's bad for the Jews or the culture. They should not, but people from, two people from two completely different cultures, they don't speak the same language, they need an interpreter when they go out on dates, okay? Um, they, that's okay. This is a arbitrary, engineered, synthetic nationality slash ethnicity slash race it's just engineered, and this they call the Jews. I don't want to have anything to do with this identity. Besides being against my religion, it's nuts. It is. It is nuts. And most of these cases that you you know you brought up some kind of hypothetical uh, incidents. I mean, such such incidents do do exist, and they are being challenged at the courts uh, over and over again. And there is never an adequate response to that. I should tell you that uh, in practice, what such people do, if let's say one person does not want to convert, etc. Uh, there's the possibility of getting married abroad. So people fly to Cyprus, you know, when there was no pandemic, etc. So uh, they would fly to Cyprus or to Greece, etc., get married there, and their marriage would be uh, accepted in Israel. But they could not have a, a non-religious wedding here. But this is how, this, this is how people do, do so, it. So Elon can't marry Elanit if she's halakhically not Jewish. But he can marry Zala if she's halakhically Jewish culturally. Very weird. It's very weird. Yes, I mean, yes, that is pretty much the case. I'd like to maybe offer uh, the audience another kind of interpretation, uh, or it's not even different interpretation, just different phrasing. You see, in Judaism, uh, for example, there is the notion of uh, a chosen people, right? Mm -hmm. But... Uh, but we know, you and I know that the chosen people doesn't mean that uh, the Jewish people are any better. It means we're chosen for responsibilities. Exactly. We're responsible. Responsibility for tikkun olam, etc. Well, we we don't. That's a Reform Jewish thing. It's it's oh, tayag mitzvot, tayag mitzvot. We are okay. chosen for tayag mitzvot. We are deputized. Being Jewish is a job description. That's exactly. what it means. And what it is all all Torah mitzvot. It is a burden. Yeah, uh, I don't wouldn't call it burden. I would call it responsibility because I don't exactly. look at it as a negative thing. Which you know, burden has those connotations. But it's a, a, a right. And now it's true that if you have responsibilities in any job, you get privileges along with the responsibilities. But it's the response. And the reason why we got these is because uh, we chose God. It's it's. Kamayim ponem el ponem. It's it's we chose God, so He chose us. And and by the way, I want to tell you something. A Jew that doesn't believe in the the mitzvahs, he doesn't believe in God. A guy like Theodore Herzl is further from God than a average law-abiding Muslim that believes in Allah, doesn't worship idols. Uh, has a system of civil law, doesn't have to be the Jewish one, regular system of civil law, doesn't um, eat limbs pulled off live animals, technically that's one of the conditions, right? An average law-abiding Muslim, even if he abides by, let's say, civil law of a regular country, in, in, in London, let's say, right? He is closer to God, according to Judaism, than a God-denying guy like Theodore Herzl. It, it has nothing to do with... You, it, Judaism is a meritocracy. 
And it's a meritocracy. You're born with a responsibility. But if you're you're born, let's say, in a military family, and it doesn't, I know it doesn't work that, but let's say just for the sake of the argument, guy's born in the army, right? So he has responsibilities in the army. Maybe he gets veterans um, privileges, right? If that guy's a deserter, he's worse than an average civilian. Being a Jew comes with responsibilities. You're not chosen for for no reason you are you have responsibilities and if you don't fulfill those responsibilities and that's all chosen means you know by the way the there was a disagreement amongst early zionists like maybe 100 years ago 110 years ago regarding what to do with this chosen notion there are those that said oh no we have to get rid of this chosen notion and then uh, others that said we're chosen by ourselves uh, you know, uh, we're chosen the Jewish genius, guys like Achad Ha'am and, and, you know, and these people, we, we chose ourselves, we have to choose Aaron David Gordon, you know, people like that. But um, first of all, it's not even a question of chosen, because anybody can convert to be a Jew. You want to be a chosen one? Go right ahead. You know, go right ahead. Some of our greatest people. King David was a descendant of Ruth the Moabite, who was a convert. Our King David himself was a descendant of a convert, okay? Ruth, a uh, book in the Bible is named after her. She was a convert, a Moabite woman, okay? And it, it's not even a question of when you say chosen, you're talking about the job description is chosen, right? And whatever privileges are, are bestowed, it's only if you fulfill the duties and, and it's open to anybody in the world that wants. On the contrary, the difference between me and a non-Jewish person in terms of chosenness, I have no choice but to accept these responsibilities of chosenness. If he chooses, he could be chosen. No problem. Very simple. It's, it's a question of we all have agency in terms of, uh, of this. There's no such thing as when we say people. See, that's the problem. It's not the chosen part. It's the people part. What do you mean people? Whoever chooses to be a Jew gets the privileges and responsibilities, you know, of being a Jew. It, it's that simple. But, but according to the, the Zionists, again, at the beginning, they didn't like the religion. I mean, Israel Zangville said that uh, you could be a, a Jew and also a Christian, that he said, you heard that on my podcast. That's what he said. That, right. And then Yosef Chaim Brenner said the same thing. This was a raging debate amongst Zionists. But today, what happened was that the, I, I think, you know, it was due to Benzian Diner's indoctrination, and slowly, slowly it became more ethnocentric. There is no other identity for them. You know, if a Jew can be a Christian or a Muslim, what, what does his Jewishness mean? They were hoping that Jew would be synonymous with Israeli, the way America is synonymous with American. You know, it didn't work out that way. So now they, they need to co-opt an identity, so they need to, you know, kill Judaism and take the Jewish identity. And, and it, 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 this is why I mentioned the notion of uh, chosen people, and there's a few more Jewish uh, ideas that have been totally turned on their head. Yes. Because Inclu in Judaism, it means responsibility. Yes. Responsibility as a chosen people. Yes. Zionists took it and turned it on its head, and it, it's all about supremacy. It is giving them the carte blanche. It is giving them legitimacy. And the Holy Land... Judaism to justify the most atrocious uh, type of thinking yeah. and action. Ben-Gurion told the British committee that mandate is not our Bible, the Bible is our mandate. And he didn't even believe in it. He said, I don't believe God speaks to prophets, I don't believe you could pray to God. There's no such thing. He didn't believe in the mitzvahs. He said, Moses, King David, they never heard of the Tariag mitzvahs. He didn't believe in the whole thing, but it's the mandate. The whole idea of a homeland. 
What does a homeland mean? The word homeland was created in the 1600s. To say, I mean, you know, in Hebrew, the, the word homeland is moledet, right. right? Now, moledet means the place you were born. And indeed, in the Israeli Declaration of Independence, it says here the nation was born. Okay, that's not the Jewish story. The Jewish story is Hayoim Hazen We were born on Mount Sinai when God gave us the Torah. Israel, the, the, or the, rather the Holy Land, did not make us into a nationality. It's a holy land. It's not a homeland. So they took nationalism and made it into a they, they completely emasculated Judaism and remade it in their own nationalist image. Exactly. It, it's uh, the biggest, it's really the biggest attack on Judaism. You know, I'm orthodox. I, I'm against uh, the innovations that Reform Judaism made, Conservative Judaism made. I would disagree, obviously, with the Supreme Court's recent decision. You know, I only recognize Orthodox Judaism as Judaism, but at least Reform and Conservative Judaism still agree that Judaism is a religion. What Zionism did is say, you know, being a Jew is not even a religion. It's a nationality. That's a worse deviation, much worse deviation. There never was such a thing before. And, you know, we can even go back to pre-state Israel when mm-hmm. Rabbi Dushinsky, for example, gave his statement to uh, the UN committee and he said that the Jews are not interested to, in the slightest uh, to, to subjugate any other population, etc. And they were working tirelessly in order to actually not have, to have any other rule, to have any rule other than Zionist rule over them. Uh, That's and, right. And, Rabbi Sonnenfeld, who was the, he died in 1933, was chief rabbi. He, he sent an emissary to the British to tell them that the Jews do not want uh, the Zionists to take over. They'd rather live under the British or the Arabs. His name was Jacob Dahan. Yeah, he was assassinated by the Zionists because they didn't want him to get that message across. And even today, you know, they claim that anti-Zionist Jews are only a small minority. Yeah, well, because their voices are not heard. They tried... Rabbi Sonnenfeld tried to send the emissary there, and they assassinated him. So now they use. If we already mentioned the Jacob Israel Dehan, uh, he was assassinated uh, a few months after they had a meeting in Transjordan with King Abdullah. Right. Went there with the rabbis, with Rabbi Sonnenfeld, and uh, that was actually the first time that the rabbis left uh, the Holy Land. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for the in that meeting with the king who was. Uh, you know, the king of Hashemite, uh, uh, of Transjordan, mm-hmm. he was about to inherit also uh, basically uh, the land of Palestine at the time. Uh, and he gave his promise, and some say that there was also a written decree to that effect, yes. that, um, that he promised free immigration for Jews from around the world to live in his kingdom as equals. Yes. But without Zionist aspirations, without this A state, political state, yes. Equals. And that meeting, and the, the assassin, uh, uh, mm-hmm. the assassin in his statement, uh, many years later, he admitted that for that for that meeting, uh, basically, Dehan was marked for execution because it was such a threat. Now, what was the threat? The threat was that Dehan, the Jew, uh, managed to get a, a promise or even a written decree promising free immigration for Jews to live there as equals. And, and so the Zionists decided to assassinate the Jew because the Jew managed to uh, secure free immigration for Jews, but not as Zionists, not promoting that Zionist ideology. That was such a big threat. To them. That's right. That's right. A hundred percent. Yep. 
he said they found him in Japan, uh, Tahomi, and he had this interview, you know, and that's what he said. And even there was a, there was an American diplomat that heard from the Mufti. He said, look, I have no problem with as many Jews as they want moving here as long as they don't create their own state and, you know, take over. Once upon a time, that was true. And basically what we are um, aiming for is to establish, uh, to, to democratize this place, to have indeed a land where uh, all people, regardless of obviously uh, race, gender, religion, etc., uh, could live as equals. And simply by doing that, simply by demanding equality for all people, especially all the sons and daughters of the land, including those who are in forced exile, simply by demanding equality, we are totally uh, uh, dismantling this uh, Zionist system of oppression. And I think that, um, I mean, people don't understand how, how uh, equality is the most radical notion here in Israel. I could say, I could say that I, you know, support this or that Palestinian faction and I would only be regarded as a traitor. But when I demand equality, I'm outside of the scope of thinking. Sure, because equality means another Holocaust tomorrow. And everybody's well, going to be thrown into the that uh, state of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, state of mind is a psychological phenomenon. Yep, that you're that's with. right. They're great propagandists. Amazing. Yes, that is why, going back to how we started the discussion, why liberal Zionism is more dangerous because it offers some sort of some semblance of of legitimacy to what we have just been discussing. Because the right wing Zionists, you know, they're they're honest about the racism. It's kind of out in the open, right? That Jewish nation state law, for example, it's, 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 it's out there. It's obvious. But the liberal Zionists, the one who sugarcoat everything and try to come across as, as nice and well-meaning, etc., well-meaning supremacists, the smiling face of uh, supremacy, they are much more dangerous because they are the ones who lend legitimacy to all of this. Without that sense of legitimacy, it couldn't survive. It couldn't survive for that long. For that long. Right. See, Ronnie, I consider you a Jew because you are, in my view, according to the Torah, obligated in these duties. Now, if somebody doesn't believe that, there really is no reason for them to consider themselves Jews. They're just human beings, you know? That's, that's, uh, and, and that is the, the principle that Zionism, the first principle that Zionism skewered. All right, listen, uh, Ronnie, this was great. It was, it was, it's great having you. Thank you so much. I think you, uh, well, you definitely enlightened and educated a lot of the listeners. And I, I, I really appreciate it. It's, you know, refreshing to have somebody as honest as you uh, on. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.